It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com, coming soon to iOS and Android. From a collapsed career to overcoming cancer, I am still the CEO of my soul. That's what we're discussing today on The Devil is a Lie. The Devil is a Lie. Here's your host, Angel Nicole. The Devil is a Lie. I let go of the season where I was living an at least life. At least I got the job. At least I got the man. And I changed the narrative and fully began believing God wanted more for my life. Now I act in constant anticipation that his blessings will manifest. I asked Nick Cobert to read those words that I snagged from a post that she wrote on LinkedIn nearly a year ago. A White House appointee for women in business, serves as a council member of the National Women's Business Council, and also ranks as the principal managing partner of Cobra Johnson Romney, an award-winning legal and business firm. Let me tell y'all, we are in for a real treat. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hi, friend. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm happy to see you. You look amazing. I'm like, I wish I could hang. I'm here, girl. And isn't that a blessing? <laughs> I gotta tell y'all, I absolutely love this woman who is on this episode. Like, she is amazing in so many different ways. I remember we had dialogues about what she had for her vision and how she wanted to convert and the direction in which she wanted to go. She once had a salon and, you know, she ended up going in a different direction due to some things that transpired. Well, actually, Nick, tell them the story. Tell them. <laughs> you were doing good, girl. I'm like, this is my popcorn and wine. This sounds great. What happened to this chick? <laughs> <laughs> well, so we've known each other for a very long time, very parallel existences in this small business game. But I, you know, February is actually my 20 year anniversary of being an entrepreneur. I I looked at that. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I worked at a law firm right out of law school. And and around, yeah, 2002, I got fired. So that is I always keep it real. There's no other way. But yeah, there was a downsizing at my firm and the thought of going to another firm horrified me. I was like, I don't know much, but I know I'm miserable. So like, let's not do the same thing we did again. So I just opened my world. I'm like, what would I do if I could do anything? Because I could, you could always do what you want to do. You really can always do that. And that was probably one of the best moments of my life because I really took charge instead of just being kind of governed by circumstance. I'm like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I had a dream 
as my dad said, it wasn't no Martin Luther King dream. It was my dream. But um, but I did. I had a dream that I had cloned my hairstylist. In my dream, I had like 10 of my wonderful, amazing stylists. And I had a chain of hair salons and I was like, this is really hot, you know? And so the next day I went to my office at work because they, they gave me a little time to get my life together, which I appreciate. And I went on the SBA's website and I was like, what do you, you know, how do you, how would you open a business if you wanted to open a business? And I also looked at franchises. I looked at like super cuts. And the great thing is there's never a new thing. There's always somebody doing what you want. So you just look at them and there was so much information online. So I put my business plan together and I, lo and behold, over a year, I put together my first business, which was um, Soul Day Spa and Salon. We had two locations, one in DC and one in Maryland. And I did that for about a decade. I had like 30 employees between the two locations. And I, you know, I really accomplished the dream. I did have a chain of day salons and we were successful until we weren't, right? We were successful for 10 years. I learned so much. And then, you know, the economy tanked. So the skills that I had put in place the first time, I did it again. I was like, well, what do you want to do? You could do anything you want to do. Well, I liked putting businesses together. That was, I didn't like running it. But I loved the creative process of financing and finding the team members, the logo, all kinds of stuff. And and I said, well, I think I could turn that into a consulting business. And so 10 years later, I regenerated. I did it. I, my pivot game is strong um, with my husband. We have a real estate consulting firm and we have a business and communications consulting firm. And I'm delighted I get to help small businesses bring their their vision to life. And, and I think the best thing is you always use whatever your adversity is. It's a blessing to someone mm-hmm. else because you get through it and then you show them, you show them by just embodying the fact that you got through something, you give them hope. So it's all good. So what was the hardest part about being able to pick up the pieces? Because it's one thing once we've made it through, we can make it sound good. Like, hey, I made it. I redid it. You know what I mean? I repurpose that skill set that I have. But in that Mm -hmm. moment, we go through and it's not as pretty as, oh, I just, you know, packed up my office and had to go sit and meditate and figure it out. Right. So I've thought about this, obviously, um, over and over. The hardest part is all the time you're you're suffering before everything drops. (laughs) That stress of maintaining when you know a relationship's over or a business is dead or, you know, you've tried everything. That anxiety is some foolishness. That is the hardest part. The second hardest part is the administration of getting through. When you go through a loss of a business or a relationship, or a house, or, you know, anything, there is an administrative process to loss. You usually have to sell your house. You usually have to liquidate your assets. You usually have to go to court and get divorced. That stuff is stressful. I'm an attorney and the, the worst place in the world for me to be is the courthouse. 
But that is where all the foolishness is. In order for you to get to the other side, you got to go through somebody's right. court. And um, but you go through it, you know, you you go through it. You, I mean, your nerves are shot. You know, what is that judge? How are they going to disrupt your life? How are you going to have to respond? That stuff is real. I do not wish that on my my enemies. That being said, there's always closure. There's always closure. And so if you can just get to closure, you know, have the courage to believe that that next day is going to be better than what you're going through instead of worse. That's why people stay in foolishness because they think what they have is better than what's to come. What the unknown is. And it's always the opposite. It always is. It's always better than the stress that you're putting yourself under because you're operating in fear. Fear of the unknown is always worse than the actual thing you go through. So that is that is what I do know. There has not been one scenario that once I jumped, I was worse off than what I was going through. And one of those jumps was to that husband of yours. <laughs> oh, man. That little sack of sugar. He's a little sack of sugar, girl. Listen, I kissed a hell of a lot, about 37 frogs, but I got my, I got my boo. So you say what you want, but spell my name right. I don't stop until I get it right. Exactly. (laughs) And I think that's all a part of trusting and knowing who you are and believing, truly believing that God really has greatness for us and this abundance that we've all been promised, but we have to believe in it enough to stay the course. And learn how to redirect when the wheel is turning. A lot of times we don't want to listen. We want to hold on to something that's not working. Because you really don't believe it. You don't. You, we, we talk about faith, but it really is an act of faith. Faith is a verb. It's really things that you have to do to be in alignment with what you believe. And that paralysis is the absence of faith. If you are not moving, you have no faith. You're really hedging bets and and things. And and I've done that. I've done that. It's a it's a whole different, it's an evolution. And and it never stops. Like you will cross one path and then you get to another moment where your faith is tested and you literally have to act. You never just get it all right. It, they're just different things that you're working on internally. And, um, and I just try to be aware that, that your whole life is a spiritual practice and evolution. Mm-hmm. You know, every moment you get to decide whether you're afraid or whether you are fearless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so speaking of that, you have openly lived your life out loud. Even when you started off like, okay, got fired from there, like you're very transparent about your journey. And I know for me, I've always had great respect for you. And I remember turning on LinkedIn or Facebook, one of those platforms and seeing you laying in the hospital and you're sharing what you're going through in a moment of fighting cancer. What was that like? To have to do that, and you're a businesswoman, you know, you've just been on this amazing journey. So it it was literally like incredulous, like 
Like I still, honestly, I still don't even believe that it happened. <laughs> it was, it was so like bananas out of the blue. Like, what are we talking about? You know, like, are you, this is some foolishness. That is, it was just some foolishness that it, I, I mean, I'm sure I cried. I know I did, but I didn't cry in that moment because I was like, what? I, you know, I'm doing the biopsy. Now I did cry at the biopsy because it happens. So it was ironically, uh, I said 20 years ago was my work anniversary, but February was my diagnosis month. So again, I am a picture of health. I literally never go to the hospital, never went to the hospital, except for my kids. I go to have them and they always got ear infections. That was the extent of <laughs> me going to the doctor. And I make it some pink eye because one of those little folios had pink eye, but that was it, girl. And so I went for my little annual, um, they, she did the little test and nothing, but my spidey sense was like, well, she didn't say anything about a mammogram. I said, well, this is January, you know, 2020, everything's going to be great in 2020. Let me just live my best life and let me be proactive and go to my OBGYN. And I did that. And usually she and I, that's my girl. We're just talking about foolishness, like foolishness, nothing. But she was like, do you feel this? And I was like, do, do I? Yes, I do feel that. And so my rambling screeched to a stop. I was like, what? And she was like, well, nothing to worry about, but come back in a couple of days. We'll do a mammogram and a, and a sonogram to go in there deeper because you have dense breasts. Came back two days, girl, sonogram, saw some stuff, came back later on that day. I had three biopsies. And so I had multicentric breast cancer in my left breast and we were off to the races. And I did cry. I remember crying at the biopsy because there was physical pain involved. I was like, ouch. And then it was just like, oh my God, what? You know, like what? I was, I was very irritated. <laughs> I was very <laughs> irritated. I was like, what? I got plans. This is 2020 vision. What? And, and then girl, out of the whole experience, it was the not knowing what the stage was and what they were going to do about it. So when you're a control freak like myself, not knowing is some foolishness. I need to know because once I know, then I can deal exactly. with it, you know, and um, and then they they eventually gave me a treatment plan. And honestly, after that, I was pretty fine. I had everything. I did the, the chemo and the radiation and surgery, surgery, chemo, radiation. And, you know, and I got I got through it and um, and had so much love and support. So that's the part that nobody talks about is the one thing about being sick in public is that you do see the love and the value that you mean to other people. And that was that was the antidote. That was the antidote for the whole experience being so severe was got so much love and care and 
my tribe was really, really good to me. Aww. You guys are tuned in to the Devil is Alive podcast with Angel Nicole. Our guest is Nick Kober, small business advocate for women in business and the founder of The Boat. The Boat. Okay, okay. The Devil is Alive. All right. So actually, we're going to dive to that next. So on February 22nd, you and 49 other Black women will be founding members of the Bo Collective, which is an organization that will collaborate to scale their businesses through capital, communications, and contracts. Why is this a much needed organization? I'm very blessed that I've had a 20-year small business career and I am in probably every daggone girls group that exists, okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm a Delta, legs, 12, you know, everything. I love Black women. So I love being a Black woman. I love my sisters. I love small business. What I had noticed, however, was in the business community, especially being on the council, I got a lot of statistics about women-owned businesses, women of color own businesses. And all women-owned businesses are not treated equally. There, There is grave disparities. We love to talk about Black women starting businesses at a higher rate, but the disparity of our Asian sisters in business and us, their gross annual sales average at $142, I believe, thousand dollars a year. The average Black woman's own business is 26000 So, you know, that's something worth ringing the alarm about, number one. Number two, I believe, because I've lived how collaborative women are in all shapes and sizes, but I knew I had the blessing of, of all this time of knowing these really, really successful entrepreneurs who were still facing adversity, right? Like not all of them, but some of them were still having lines of credit problems. And some of them were still not getting those contracts and the numbers um, that their peers were. So I just thought about like, what would it be like if we all worked together to go after not the the smaller contracts, but the multi-million dollar contracts. And what if we were all to go together and say, hey, not just her going for a line, but we're all going for a line together and getting that competitive spirit of having the banks come to us with their best terms instead of their worst right. terms. And and we're using that middle sea of communications to report out. So over a year, we're not keeping it in the dark. We're going to say, hey, we've been working with X company. And at the end of 12 months, we got X percentage of business and we got X number of loans from these entities. I think it's a powerful statement. I can't believe it hasn't been done before. And I'm so happy that within a couple of months, my girls were like, let's do this. Let's do it. And, um, and we're going to replicate it all across the country. We're going to have a chapter model. It's very persuasive. It makes sense. It makes sense. So in our group of 50, we have several land developers. We have several communications firms, IT firms, doctors. It's a feast of um, an assembly of some amazing women. And so can you imagine what it looks like for seven land developers to go and get a deal together? Can you imagine what 
you know, several communication firms instead of going for one small territory, going for a nationwide communications contract that we're thinking mobily and globally and collaboratively. And um, everyone is so enthusiastic about it. Going to be launching at the Salamander Hotel and got all kinds of just hope and optimism and Black girl magic. Well, we already know it's going to be blessed and highly successful. So many kudos to you for having the vision and the foresight to put that community together. Because in the government contracting space specifically, numbers matter. So definitely kudos there. Now, it's time for us to move into our devil is a lie moment. So this is where I'm going to ask you to share a time that you did not know how you were going to overcome a particular situation, whether it was imposter syndrome or just adversity that struck. So what the situation was, how you overcame it, and what was waiting for you on the other side. I was highly ambitious through my whole childhood and college and everything. And so, you know, being laid off as a single mom of a one, I guess, Jordan was like one years old. You just feel like your whole life is crashing. You feel like a failure. You know, it's like I'm fighting for my kid and I'm fighting to be competent at work. And it just seemed like I was failing at at everything. But, you know, I have really amazing parents. God bless both of them. And they just are my hype team. They are my flavor flaves to my Chuck D. I mean, like they are so dope. They're like, you can do this, girl. I don't care what they're saying. What do you want to do? Do that. And I was like, but, you know, y'all want me to be a lawyer and I don't want to disappoint you. They're like, whatever, just think about it. Think about what you want to do and and do that. And um, and then I had the dream. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I guess that's what the what it is. And it happened real sequentially. Like if you're looking for things, um, it happened very much in time and, and very close in proximity. So I think, you know, with, with my parents, like just undying belief in me and it kind of transfers uh, to me that I, I believe in myself sometimes more than others. Do not get me wrong. I'm not this constant source of I can do. I, you know, I have that little inner voice that plagues me too. But the devil is a lie. You know, the, I think that his best, the best trick the devil has is he disguises his voice as your own. So you, the stuff that's like, you're not a good mama. You can't do that. Who makes you think you can have a talk show? Who makes you think that's the devil? He's a lie. Do the opposite of what that voice is telling you. And then you usually get out of it. <laughs> no, nah, no, I cannot agree more. And I know for me, and I've never talked about this on this show, but to the same extent, during the time that I had my second son, right after I was let go of my job. They're like, oh, we're doing a reorg. And I went back to my childhood and I remember my dad always told us, you know, when you pour yourself into a company at any point, they can say, thank you for your service, but we no longer need you. And so he always instilled in us to have a backup plan. In that moment, I was still married, but I feel like a lot of things started like downward spiraling when I decided I'm going to go the entrepreneurship route. I'm not going to look for another job. 
And so mm-hmm. just being honest with yourself of where you mm-hmm. are and what you want and not letting anybody mm-hmm. sway you one way or the other. If you know what you mm-hmm. know that you know, <laughs> Mm-hmm. that's yes. what you have to go with. Yes. So throughout the last like two years, the great resignation <laughs> has sent a number of people yeah. on a quest to fulfill their passions through launching new businesses. What's one piece of advice that you would offer them? A couple things. Don't go it alone. There's so many resources out there. You know, there's several elements of business. It's the great idea, but it's also where's the money? going to come from, who's going to give it to your clients, you know, how you're going to operate. So lots of things. There really is no excuse for not being prepared. So whether you learn on the job at somebody else's firm that you want to replicate, if you want to go online, score, you know, mentorship, whatever, but there is no reason to be ignorant about basics of business. Now, for everything that you can learn, business is still going to kick your ass, is still going to throw you different things. But I was talking to one of my mentees today and she's about to go into a storefront and, you know, the volatility of construction and when's the money going to come and all this kind of stuff. And I could feel it in her voice and stress. But then I thought about what I was doing and I'm trying to get a proposal together and trying to operate. I got two different issues with two different companies. And I was like, you know, it never changes. I have a company that is in the top 0.5% of successful small businesses. And there are still mountains to climb. There are still challenges. The only thing that entrepreneurship does for you is it gives you flexibility on how you want to work and you have certain more autonomy and decision-making. But if you want stability, that is a whole different thing. So you, you are never going to say, Oh, if I, if I get that next contract, you know, woo, that's going to be it. No, it's not. It's not just another, it's just another thing. Just know what you're built for. I know I'm built for uncertainty. I know I'm built for, I can plan and I can execute and I'm okay with seeing how it works out. And I just, I, I give that to people because there's a lot of people that romanticize what entrepreneurship is and they have no idea that this is what success looks like. It's the unknown. It's the volatility. That's success because you're, I'm still doing it 20 years later it's gone up like this. It's had bankruptcies. It has store closings. It has openings. It has spots in the media. It has times where you're shamed and can't get out of bed, right? But that's my life. And I love it. I love the wholeness of it. I've had far many more great days than I've had bad, just like life. And so just know what you're built for. Don't go it alone. Inform yourself and then just put the seatbelt on. Just put it on, fall back, do the thing that you're really good at, because hopefully there's something you're outstanding with in your business and enjoy the process of, of growing. Now, last question for you. You are currently a White House appointee to advocate for women, small business owners. Talk to us a little bit about what that is like. Oh, this is kind of 
poetic in that my term is over next week. (laughs) I was appointed by the White House, the previous administration, to this amazing bipartisan council. So half of us were on the president's party and half of us were not. And we got to collaborate. These were some of the baddest sisters around the country. They were small business owners. They had grown their businesses from the ground up. And we got to, before COVID, go around the country and then after COVID online and really hear about what were women's situations and solutions? What things were they going through? Because they never just went through something. They always solved it. (laughs) They always, and so it was just so incredible just to, again, use the word resiliency to see how they navigated through lack of capital, how they navigated through lack of access to internet service and, and broadband, you know? And so the lack of access is kind of the theme of what I experienced and heard about. I served as uh, one of the co-chairs to the Access to Capital subcommittee. And so we were always trying to like Rubik's Cube it and find different ways that we can strategize and get more access uh, to, to women in business. I will say that, you know, God has blessed me that even while I was going through my experience with cancer, while COVID was going on, I still got to serve. I was still well enough, conscious enough, strong enough to serve. And um, and I believe our council was influential in recommending to the SBA that the micro businesses, the smallest of the small, were left out of that first tranche, Black women, women, minorities were not getting it. And so that second tranche where it went to the smaller banks, where it went to the CDFIs and the credit unions, and they publicized that. Um, I'm very, I'm very happy. I felt like I complained enough. I'm like, this is whack. What are y'all doing? In a very nice (laughs) and very professional way. But I was like, we're going to go to the media if y'all don't fix this. They They got their adjustments, you know? So that's a proud moment, you know, because even, you know, the statistics were still horrible in terms of the amount of businesses that shuttered. But I know there were a lot of businesses that were saved. And I I reflect on my own first small business where um, the economy tanked and I, I had to close my doors. I would probably be a national franchise had there been a PPP or idle loan or or any of these other um, forbearance on um, loan payments. None of those things happened for me. And so I have perspective. I'm not the jaded old lady. I feel like I know that that was an example of good government. Government was really a hero to certain people and they were creative and resourceful. And I'm going to encourage encourage them, you know, until my last breath to do better and to believe that equity is an emergency, providing equitable capital and resources to underserved communities. That is an emergency because it is a shame that only 0.5% of Black women have gross annual sales over a million dollars. We need to do better. And because it's in our collective best interest to do so, to to keep Black businesses not only on the grid, but scaling them. So because 
when a black business does well, so does the community. Absolutely. So it's it's just a, a no brainer. So that's what I call a good old transition. So how do people stay connected to you, Nick? All right. So my all my social media handles are Nick Cobra Esquire. My business, if you are a small business and need some communications or management or legal advice, the CJR Group is um, is our company. You can go to CJR Legal dot com. And if you want to transform communities and do uh, land development deals, we can do that too. Go to CJR Builds. My husband is uh, such a trailblazer on that front. He's a developer that is in his DNA and he does it really, really well and tries to go around the country and help transform our communities to ones that allow equity to be received by our community and giving us the great resources that we deserve at the same time. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. And thank you for the wealth of information that you've shared. Thank you so much. Thank you, dear. Thank you, guys. All right. And to you at home, please be sure to drop a comment on our podcast page and share a review. We'd love to know how you're enjoying the podcast. I've had a number of people inquire about following me on social media, and you can surely do so at The Angel Nicole on all social media platforms. The Devil is a Lie is a production of the Alive Podcast Network, an entity of DC Media Connection. Engineered by Julio Gonzalez of Zymer.co and music provided by Audio Vibes. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media at Alive Podcast Network. If you are interested in joining the Alive Podcast Network family, visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com to learn more. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, there is greatness within you. And if anybody tells you anything different, the devil is a lie. Until next time, be blessed. The devil is a lie.